0: Hello and welcome. I'm here today with Sam and Mia. Sam is a registered dietitian nutritionist and owner of the Nutrition Practice G&G Nutrition Company, where she provides one-on-one nutrition coaching services locally in Charlotte, North Carolina, and also virtually. Sam helps women with PCOS ditch diets, improve insulin resistance, and balance hormones without feeling guilty or stressed about food. Mia is a non-diet dietitian who finds the title food and body therapist to better describe what she does. Mia specializes helping chronic yo-yo dieters break up with diet culture, learn how to eat intuitively by listening to their bodies, and heal body image struggles through the health at every size approach. She's based in Seattle, where she runs a private practice on the side while working full time at a university, where she has a dual role: half time as nutrition counselor in the student counselor center and half time at the nutrition faculty for the dietetics department. She's passionate about helping women stop the war against their bodies and make peace with food and body to live their full lives. Thank you for joining and welcome to today's episode.
1: Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us.
0: I to have you back. You both have done solo episodes in the past, which is really fun. So for listeners, make sure to check those out as well. I was hoping we could dive in and first just discuss what is Haze and what does it mean to both of you?
2: Sam,
1: do you want to start off? Oh, sure, sure, yeah, I didn't want to jump in and cut you off. Yeah, so I'll start. So Hays is a social justice movement that recognizes that health outcomes are really a result of social, economic, and even environmental factors, and that addressing health really means addressing some of these social and even political factors that prevent people from having... Access to equal and respectful health care. So I think there's a lot of misconceptions about Haze. Haze stands for health at every size. A lot of people think it means everybody is healthy at every size, or that Haze is anti-weight loss. And it haze is really just about making sure everyone has access to respectful health care, and they are not experiencing oppression or poor health care based off of their body size. And another big piece of Haze too, is that health means more than just physical health. And health is also not a moral obligation. And that somebody should not be judged, oppressed, or their value should not be dependent on their health status.
0: Really beautiful. I have a a couple follow-up questions before Mia pops in there. Can you give an example of what you mean by oppression? Like a, what what exactly, like a story of a client? I know on your bio, you talked about like on your website, how a client was relieved to never weigh herself again. Can, Can you maybe give some more
2: context to what you mean?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, we have data that when somebody is at a higher weight, they are less likely to receive a job offer if they are being interviewed and somebody in a smaller size is being interviewed, that things like that are, are big, being able to go into a store and find clothes that fit you, being able to sit in an airplane seat and feel comfortable those are some examples. And then weight bias in medical care is a really big one. And anybody that's a dietitian that's haze aligned has a lot of experiences with this with clients of just the dread of going to the doctor and really having the experience that things are more commonly blamed on weight rather than receiving a thorough health evaluation.
0: Thank you for those examples. That was really helpful, Sam. Um, Mia, do you have anything to add to that?
2: Absolutely. First off, I would like to add an example to I had a specific client pop in mind as you both were speaking. And so I had a client who was in a larger body. uh, And by the BMI standards, she would be considered obese. However, she had a restrictive eating disorder, she had anorexia. And that's why she came to see me um, when uh, a couple years ago. And you know, despite the fact that she was eating below 30% of her body's actual needs and spending five to six hours in the gym, you know, she was still in this larger body. And when she went to see the medical doctor, he told her without asking her any of those um, thorough questions and exploring all the different factors that Sam just explained, he just told her to lose weight. This is a client and that was, that's not okay. That's unethical care is how I feel like, you know, when we're not exploring just making that diagnosis based on a client's size and weight, when in, in reality, this client was engaging in harmful behaviors by severely under eating and restricting. And so what I would like to add to what health at every size means is bringing it to health care, that it's not making those assumptions about people, about their health status based on their size or weight, and really looking at all the different factors. And it's a very self-compassionate based approach. It's a compassionate based approach, both from the provider side, and that's what we also help. Foster in our clients where we want them to engage in health behaviors from a self compassionate approach, not from a restrictive and a self critical approach, which oftentimes the traditional weight loss approach tends to end up being. Yeah, thank you for that perspective, Mia. How did
0: either one of you uh, discover haze? Did you start off in dietetics with this approach, or kind of how did that come about? How did you? Uh, get more clear and strong with this approach and your methodology?
1: I think for me, it was a natural evolution over time. You know, when we go through our traditional dietetics education, it's very weight centric. I mean, I can't, I experienced being receiving education on the benefits of weight loss and focusing on weight really all throughout school and throughout my internship And it was really when I opened my private practice that I started to experience that things were really not adding up the way that I had thought that they would based off of my education. So for example, I would work with a client and they would see that their labs would improve and they really did not lose any weight at all. Or I would see a client in a larger body, just like Mia was saying, and they were really participating in harmful behaviors, under eating, over exercising, and really tormenting themselves over this pursuit of weight loss, and then being told by their provider that they just need to try harder. So as I was, I had heard of Hayes, and I was educating myself on it, but then also experiencing the principles in my own private practice.
2: I feel like I was a bit lucky in, in that I think Sam's experience aligns with most of the dietitians who make their ways into the Hayes world, where I you know, started my dietitian career as an eating disorder professional and had additional training in addition to my dietetics um, internship that I had to do. I did an eating disorder adolescent medicine fellowship at a local hospital in in Seattle, and feel pretty lucky that I found health therapy size and intuitive eating in, in that world. And I wasn't sure how that would you know, of course, there was so much cognitive dissonance happening just based on what we are taught in school with that primary um, weight focused approach. Uh, But when I saw this being applied to the eating disorder population, and that the local hospital that I worked for, even used this approach with, quote, unquote, you know, overweight or obese teenagers, which I think is pretty radical, but I really appreciate that they do that. And so I could see that it was really a helpful way beyond, you know, eating disorder clients. And so uh, I began to feel very strongly about this approach. And uh, as I started to work at a university counseling center and started counseling my own clients, I was able to really use that in in whatever reason my clients were coming to see me, because obviously I'm not, I didn't just see eating disorder clients, but saw that it could be work in ways, even in populations outside of eating disorders, because it is a self-care framework. It is a more compassionate framework that helps people really look at their health from different angles and take better care of them. And that's something that can be applied to any population.
0: Yeah, it's great. So one thing I don't think we have touched on too deeply yet is the political and kind of the aspect about the political and the social responsibilities. I know that Sam mentioned how this is a a social justice movement. So can you talk a little bit about how race and ethnicity plays a role in what Hayes means either to your approach or your thoughts on how Hayes is aligned with helping people and and being represented and being inclusive and representative?
1: Right. Well, I think when we look at health trends, access to healthcare care is associated with weight and BMI, and overall health, access to a grocery store, you know, if somebody lives in a food desert, they're going to have trouble building healthy meals, just simple things like that. It's really all intertwined. So
0: Just to define food desert for those who might not know what that means, that's one in 10,000 people per grocery store. Is that that what it is, Sam? I can double check that. How do we define a food desert for people who don't know what that means? Because that has to do with access.
2: I don't think there's actually a definition for it, but there's varying definitions where it can be, you know, that there are no grocery stores within a certain mile radius within a residential area, or it could be defined by, you know, number of populations in a grocery store. But okay. I, I um, thought it was number of yeah. populations. All
0: right. I'll double check that. But I just want to make sure the listeners understand what that means in case if they don't have education in that. So go ahead, Sam.
1: Yeah, that's just that's basically just what I was saying is that really, we have to look at access to health care and quality health care, even education. I mean, having a little bit of health literacy and knowing the types of questions to ask your provider, just things like that. Health involves so many different areas. And do people have access to all of the areas that they need in order to know what are the best things that they should be doing to improve their health long term?
2: Anything to add to that, Mia? I think just the overall general medical care is so based on, it's not inclusive. You know, like we were talking about how a lot of underrepresented minorities tend to be in the lower social economic realms. They have, there's a lot of health disparities happening with the ethnic minorities and uh, certain, you know, health. Conditions that they tend to be more uh, at to higher risks to, and things like that, which are really not addressed as a whole. And when we look at how medical care is provided, we're not really catering to the individual needs of these different populations, and using you know just kind of these cookie-cutter diagnostical definitions to provide care, which is often not adequate. And I think that's what Hayes also part of what Hayes addresses as a social justice approach is that we need to do better in thinking about health from these different angles and providing the best care for, you know, different populations, not just the, the, the ones who have access, not the ones who have the privilege to all. And so what are examples of how we can, you've both
0: mentioned in healthcare realm. So does that mean helping teacher clients how to advocate for themselves or what are examples of how we would help people um, in that setting? telling them that they don't have to weigh themselves? Like what, what is it that you would help them do?
1: Well, I think for me personally, it's, it's at a higher level than that. It's getting involved in like political advocacy. It is directly advocating for your clients, not just teaching them how to advocate for themselves. I know Libby from working with you, you know, that I'm really passionate about, finding a way to still accept insurance, not in a way that I'm being taken advantage of, or, you know, I know I can still get plenty of cash paying clients, but a lot of the work I do with my clients who are using their insurance is I do directly advocate with the provider, because if, if I feel like the patient truly cannot advocate for themselves
0: Can you give an example of what, I think, advocating for yourselves, what specifically do you mean by that? Mm
1: -hmm. Like, I will talk to the provider and request specific labs. Or if I feel like, like, for example, I was seeing a client who it was very clear to me that in addition to PCOS, she had other things going on. And I was able to communicate to the provider and say, I really think they need to be tested for X, Y, and Z, rather than just being told that she needs to lose weight. And she was diagnosed with a thyroid condition and celiac disease and several other things that probably would have gone undiagnosed had I not initiated that conversation.
0: Love that example. Super helpful. Are you willing to, to share? I can edit this out. If not, are you willing to share your scholarship that you have to try to help Rax? Okay.
1: Yeah, definitely. So this has been an ongoing conversation that I've been having with Libby, because one of my core values, and I think it is part of being a Hazel Line provider, is finding a way to grow my business, but still honor this value that I feel like nutrition should be accessible to everyone. And I do do a lot of things locally in my community to contribute to that. But one thing that I've done is I developed a scholarship to cover the entry into my group coaching program. And I just released the application last week for the first time. And I just did one swipe up on Instagram. That was all I spoke about it. And I got over 60 applications and truly the applications were really heartbreaking of saying, I don't even know where to start. I don't know what questions to ask my provider, but I've lost my job or I've always been low income, there would never be any way I could pay for your program. And, you know, I, I just feel really strongly that everyone should have equal access to things. So hopefully, this is something small that I can do to help.
0: What I what I love about you, many things is that you are taking actions to align your values with what you're doing in your business. So you're saying you want to advocate for them, and then you are actually advocating for them, both in the example of talking to the physician and the scholarship. So Thank you for role modeling that.
2: I think that's a great, great example. Yeah, thanks. Any any
0: reflections you wanna share, Mia, based on that?
2: Yeah, first I love what Sam is doing when I read about that uh, scholarship application I was kind of blown away and really admired you for doing that. And that is definitely something that I've been on my mind too. In my kind of brick and mortar private practice, you know, I would offer a sliding scale options for people who are not able to pay out of pocket because I, I do not, I did not accept insurance in my private practice, even before prior to working with Libby. But in other ways, I think, you know, advocating for Hayes can can happen in in multiple realms. And part of what I feel passionate about is really spreading the message and being an advocate of of educating people around it. Whether, you know, I am part of a nutrition faculty at a university and most, we know that most nutrition programs don't incorporate a lot of the non-diet approaches in the educational, Curriculum because it's not a required part of um, of getting accredited. But you know, I, I speak to other nutrition faculty. I make sure to incorporate non diet approaches in every single class that I teach. I do unpaid talks. You know, whether that's in in the community for other health professionals. For different groups that are interested. If they can pay me, great. But if not, then I'm happy to be there just to be an advocate for this message. And especially with other providers and aligned healthcare providers, right? Not just other, you know, physicians and therapists who on a regular basis, I do speak to them because I collaborate with them on my client cases. And sometimes they're not, they might come from that weight-based approach and I try to be vulnerable and also be open to having these conversations with them and give them resources. And even with those ally health professions, like people who run yoga studios, you know, I talked to about this with my own fitness instructor, you know, before the days of COVID or with chiropractors and my dentist even. And so small ways to really make sure that the message is getting out there and also helping clients advocate for themselves in ways where, yeah, declining to get their weight taken is something that seems simple, but a lot of them are so blown away that really, I can even do that. And then when they do do that, and come back to it successfully, they feel so empowered, because they feel that, you know, they're taking that focus away from the weight and advocating for themselves to be seen as a human being and not more than their body size and their weight, and get that comprehensive care. One question that I love sharing with my clients, and many of them have used it in their own healthcare appointments, is to ask their doctors or other providers when they do feel that they are being maybe subject to weight bias and that weight becomes a focus of a conversation, regardless of what they go in to see the provider with. Is to ask them how what would be a recommendation to someone who has who came in with the same presentations that I have but who was in a smaller body, and that can often open up the door of conversation that can feel very empowering for the client too.
0: Excellent stories. Thank you for sharing that. Mia. Really, really incredible. I, I love that you're getting uh, involved. I, you're, you're already involved in representing in the curriculum. I think that that's where a lot of this starts. So like Sam had said, she had a, a very weight based education. I think we all have. And to be able to be in that, uh, be really uh, involved and not only sprinkle the non-diet approach within the, your, your role in the um, university, but also with everyone you come across is a great way for you to live out your values. So I think that that's really inspiring. Thank you for sharing that with us. All right. So for clients who have a medical diagnosis like PCOS or an eating disorder with such a strict Protocol like the haze aligned uh, approach, or as a haze practitioner, how do you express and empower intuitive eating as well as manage symptoms for your clients?
1: Well, I think and I don't know if we should chat for a second about intuitive eating specifically Probably. and what it is, but I, they do intuitive eating gets grouped with haze and they do go together, but they're two separate things. Intuitive eating is really a nutrition framework. It was developed by Evelyn Tripoli and Elise Fresh. And it's based off of 10 principles um, and the foundation that really we know that dieting and restriction does not really promote health long term. So they describe intuitive eating as combining instinct, emotion and rational thought, I've heard it described as combining mind knowledge with body knowledge. I like that description. But yeah, it gets interesting with a health condition. And I think how you use intuitive eating principles with a health condition really depends on the specific client and where they are at with their relationship with food and their attitudes about food and weight and their body. My goal with PCOS is to treat each client with respect and give them the education that they need independent of body size. So sometimes some of the intuitive eating principles, I can't apply all 10 of them at one time with a client. You know, if somebody has severe insulin resistance, they're going to feel hungry all the time. So we really need to address the insulin resistance before we start teaching someone how to listen to their hunger and fullness. Uh, But that's part of intuitive eating. It's combining that mind knowledge and body knowledge. So there's a lot of gray area But what's most important to me is that my client is in the driver's seat and they're leading the conversation and they're making decisions and changes that feel best to them.
0: And do you have a story or an example of however the client falls on the spectrum? As you mentioned, you look at everybody and individualize this topic. Can you share a story about how somebody was able to navigate symptoms through the um, IE approach or any aspects from it?
1: Yeah, definitely. One of my clients actually that I had a graduation call with today from my group coaching program, she's actually great at advocating for herself and had switched endocrinologists several times. But she was telling me that she had been very upfront with her endocrinologist, that she did not want to focus on weight anymore. She wanted to focus on her labs and her behaviors and her general well-being. And that her endocrinologist seemed pretty resistant to that. And she went back and got labs drawn recently and her blood sugar labs and her cholesterol had improved. And she was telling me she didn't feel like she was on a diet or restricting food. She had just kind of learned how to listen to her body a little better and understand some of the signals that her body was sending her related to her hormone imbalances. And she feels great. And now her endocrinologist is like, okay, maybe we don't have to talk about weight quite so much. So yeah, I think that was a huge win. Yeah, it's a
0: great example. Anything you wanna add to that, Mia?
1: Yeah, I
2: would say that when it comes to clients and their different maybe diagnoses or where they are at, that whether it's with applying the health therapy size framework or the intuitive eating principles, that yes, absolutely, it should be, you know, tailor to where they are. Uh, but I think overall It's pretty safe to say that we are using these non-diet frameworks that are not focusing on weight to help each client become aware of the different signals that their bodies are giving them. So these are not just the physical signals, but also, you know, how are they feeling emotionally or mentally? So looking at health from those different angles and helping them become aware of those different signs that their, you know, physical, emotional, and mental health aspects give them and then help them respond better to those signals. So it's having more awareness and having better response to those bodies needs. And that leads to greater self care. And that's, I think, one of the main things that I help work on with each client is to help them learn and really embody the fact that it's these health promoting behaviors that lead to health, it doesn't necessarily mean that low weight or a certain size is what is necessary for health. And that helps them become really free from that really obsessive mindset on just focusing on the number on the scale or the size of their body. Because oftentimes that the focus on those things are what keeps people from engage- continuing to engage in the health behaviors, right? Maybe they are eating better. Maybe they are exercising more, but they don't see the number on the scale go down. And that's discouraging. They don't want to continue. And that's what leads to, you know, it could lead to poor health outcomes. So in this way, we help them continue with the self-care. And I, I've i seen so many changes happen to a lot of clients in that way where, I had a college age client who first came to me and she struggled with her weight for many years. And when we first talked about the set point weight and how we may not have as much control over our body weight, as we think we do that, it's not just, you know, how much you exercise and what you eat. She first, after our first session, she said that it almost felt like a death sentence is what she said, that that news was so devastating to her that she w- may never, reach that skinny body that she thought she absolutely needed to be healthy and happy but through working with her and really helping her reframe that mindset on what health meant and how that restrictive mindset was actually not serving her especially her emotional and mental health later on we worked together for maybe about three months and at the end of those three months she said i see myself for so much more than what my body looks like and i no longer feel that you know that strong desire and need that I have to get my body to a smaller size at all costs. And instead of those having those thoughts, she was able to, you know, be more free in pursuing her ambitions and careers because she had so many goals in her life as a college student. I was so, you know, inspired and impressed by her, but she was not able to focus on those because her thoughts about food and controlling her body was really taking over a mental space. So seeing that kind of changes in clients and seeing how they really open up their perspectives about health. Really, it doesn't only improve their physical and mental health, but you see them live more fulfilling lives. And I think that is so inspiring for us as Hays practitioners to keep going and help clients, you know, change their perspectives in this way. Absolutely. A couple follow
0: up questions. And then I want to ask a question about our colleagues. Just if you could define for listeners who might not understand uh, as, as much what are health behaviors and health outcomes? Can you give a couple examples just so? Um, The listeners can really make sure they understand.
2: I think health behaviors are, you know, can be anything that enhances physical health. So it can, it can be definitely about nutrition, you know, are we eating enough? Are we eating a variety? Are we eating in balance? I think those counts as health behaviors, how we're moving our bodies, but also are we how are we taking care of our stress levels? What is how where are we about our feelings and taking care of those emotional needs? Because often when we don't have enough awareness of those that gets channeled into maybe using food in, in different ways that that clients don't feel happy about. So I think it's any, any behavior that really is based on that self care and meeting the body's needs can count as health behaviors and the health outcomes can be a variety of those things too. Like Sam was saying earlier that it's not just about the physical outcomes, right? Yes. Like lab markers are part of it, but also what about, you know, how they're feeling? What about their energy levels? What about, you know, how, how relaxed and calm they feel and, So we want to really look at it from those multiple dimensions of health and not just from the physical health outcomes, because especially if the health behaviors come at an expense of any other areas of health, then is it really worth it?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And another thing I'll add sleep and sleep behaviors are a huge one too. And especially in my client population PCOS is associated with sleep issues and think about how debilitating that is to never be able to sleep through the night ever. And your, your focus on weight loss has been preventing you from really addressing that issue that could be resolved in just a couple of weeks with the right education. And that things like that are really the purpose of Hayes.
0: And would you agree? Uh, thank you both for sharing that. And thanks Mia for defining that. Would you agree that those health behaviors specifically, let's say sleep and emotions are often dismissed and possibly too quickly, and then that can cause problems later. And, and it seems to be much more comprehensive than what we're actually taught in school, but very important. Oh, definitely. Yes. Absolutely. That leads yeah. me to my next question question When it comes to especially as we're talking about how important it is to be sensitive and understand what Hayes means for those who are haze aligned and how our education has some gaps as we all know, what do you wish dietitians understood about this approach and how can we train the future generation to understand what Hayes is and incorporate in any aspect to just be more sensitive to this approach especially if it's not
1: integrated into the curriculum? Kind of like what Mia was saying in terms of her advocacy, I really think that it does need to be integrated into all dietetics coursework. So if anybody listening is associated with like undergrad courses or an internship, that's important. But for something that I wish all dietitians knew is I feel like Hayes is kind of presented as like a philosophy that you kind of have the freedom to agree with it or not agree with it but it's actually like a social justice movement based off of what is actually happening in our country. And when I see like arguments about Hayes in Facebook groups, what I see is just a severe lack of understanding of what Hayes actually means.
0: Can you define the difference between philosophy? If you're saying you don't agree with it being called a philosophy because it's a social justice movement, what are the differences between the two? Are we talking semantics here? Like, is it technically philosophy if you uh, define it correctly? And now I'm getting a little confused.
1: (laughs) I don't know if I said that correctly or if Mia has anything to add. But to me, I feel like that a lot of times in the conversation amongst dietitians, it's presented as something like, oh, well, you could believe this way, but you could also disagree with it for X, Y, and Z. And I feel like, when you have a deep understanding of what haze is there's really not a lot to disagree with i think it's just only having that surface level understanding of what it is where there's like this big area of debate
2: yeah i think there are a lot of misconceptions about haze but if there's one thing that i would love for all fellow dietitians and healthcare professionals to take away about haze is that it's not okay to discriminate someone based on weight, you know, I've heard, I forgot what her name was, but I heard one Hayes advocate say like, weight-based discrimination is one of the last forms of social discrimination that is acceptable in our society. And I think that really kind of hit home for me. And, and how can that ever be okay, would be my question, especially as healthcare professionals, when our first code of ethics, no matter what type of professional you are, is that we should first do no harm. But by not looking at a patient and a client from multiple angles and really exploring you know all areas of their lives and how that is affecting their multiple dimensions of health and just using weight as one of the biggest ways to assess their health like how how comprehensive is that are we actually doing more harm than good by doing that is what i would like other our, our colleagues to really think about and that haze is not anti health It's not anti-thinness. It's not anti-weight loss. It just means that we cannot continue to put weight at the focus and the center of health because there's so much more to health than just weight.
0: Anything to add to that, Sam?
1: I think Mia just said it perfectly. And I will say, you know, in my work with clients, something that is really heartbreaking is that a lot of the traumatic experiences they have had around care for PCOS have been experiences with other dietitians. So I agree with what Mia was saying. Mm-hmm. It is in our code of ethics to not do any harm so this is a really important topic to educate yourself about
0: okay and now that segues very well into our last topic which i can't have a conversation without talking a little about social media when it comes to educating consumers which is what you both do as well as being a leader in the field of dietetics when it comes to social media can you share some surprising lessons that you've learned from fully adopting a hazeline philosophy on social.
1: I can go first if you want. Yeah. Uh, You you asked lessons that I've learned.
0: Yeah. Reflections, things that stand out. It, it, you know, however big or small, I just think it'd be nice for the audience to kind Mm -hmm. of hear from.
1: I think that a lot of our clients out there are truly emotionally suffocated with the idea of weight loss. And they are just looking for a professional that they trust to give them permission to focus on other things. And that's what was really shocking to me when I got involved in social media and really aligned my messaging is I felt like people started coming out of the woodworks just saying like, thank you so much for putting this messaging out there because I have been suffering for my entire life being told to lose weight. And then another thing too is that I feel like social media and being a haze aligned dietitian can be really difficult sometimes because you get a lot of hate and a lot of trolls as well. Trolls
0: and hate from dietitians, consumers, the both?
1: I think from anybody who just has it ingrained in them that you cannot have health without experiencing weight loss. So it could be, I've had doctors message me, other dietitians, health coaches, and even just people who have PCOS. And I appreciate you sharing that. But real quickly, I just
0: want to ask emotional suffocation. You mentioned that consumers feel that. What does that mean?
1: (laughs) I think it just means that they feel like that messaging is just thrown at them so much and it's not helping them. And they're not feeling well, they're sick. And they're they don't have anywhere to go. It's like they can't breathe.
0: And so you did say haters on social media, is there would you say your overall theme and your consistency? Or would it be like when you relate to them on stories by video? Is there any one particular way that you think has resonated or has kind of Cause well, you did all, already mention the swipe up and how that was really um, effective with your um, with consumers, and I was just wondering if there's a specific example of social media linked to these outcomes that you're explaining. Like maybe you get a lot of haters on a certain post, or maybe it's stories, or maybe mm-hmm. it's something else.
1: It's anything that really talks about weight or kind of goes against the grain of diet culture. So if you say like it's okay to eat a piece of candy, you're going to get a bunch of messages that are like, candy is inflammatory. Candy is horrible for PCOS. You're so irresponsible. So yeah, it's, it's definitely specific types of posts, but definitely ones that are more weight inclusive or more you know, about specific food freedom messaging.
0: And how long did it take you to get to the point where you fully embrace making posts that are that deliberate?
1: <laughs> well I started realizing when I was getting hate messages that it meant I was doing something right and that actually kind of a Instagram strategy I have is when I get a hate message or I get a, a negative DM I screenshot it and share it in my stories and talk about it and it usually creates a lot of engagement you are so good Sam you are
0: <laughs> so good marketing boss Mia, anything to add to that
2: I just want to say how I really admire the way that Sam handles this because I I do watch your stories. I watch <laughs> your screenshots and how you comment on them. And I'm like, wow, this is so great. You know, like you're addressing it and you're not, you know, shying away from it. And I think someone like Sam gets a lot more of those messages and kind of resistance because you're dealing with more of a, you know, a medical diagnosis, right? I think Mm -hmm. in that way, I am a little bit more sheltered. Also, I don't have as big of a following as Sam yet, but we'll see what happens in the future. But I think in the kind of the ED recovery and the making peace with food and body, this realm that a lot of people are, I'm very surprised, continue to be surprised about how many people out there really do embrace this message that this is something that does really make a difference in their lives in terms of their health and their relationship with food and their body. And I receive a lot of positive messages, you know, whether that's through DMs and comments on saying like, Hey, I really appreciate all the information that you're putting out there. It's really helping me in my recovery. It's really helping me really move away from the diet culture messages. And sometimes they share, you know, really devastating stories as of growing up in diet culture and getting internalizing a lot of those messages about, you know, how how weight is important and they're really trying to untangle that. So I'm just really happy to be a part of their journey, whether, you know, they work with me or not to know that I'm adding to their kind of confidence to, and adding a voice to this different approach is part of what really keeps me going. And, and social media has really opened up a lot of those opportunities to engage in these conversations and find more you know clients outside of my local area who do really want to hear this message. And so it's been affirming in that way. Well, yeah, also, you get to spread your message. So if you're helping people
0: outside of your local practice, you're getting to help more people and, and fulfill your mission. So that's beautiful. Quick question before we wrap up, Mia, just because I know you're a professor How do your students, if at all, do they follow you on social? Do they have any kind of thoughts about that? Um, How do you handle that?
2: Yeah. Oh, you mean handling students following my professional account? or
0: As your affiliation with university, is Mm -hmm. that well-received? Do you let them know, follow me on social? Do they have any thoughts about that? Or is that a separate kind of entity from the work that you do? In yeah.
2: Good question. So I'm continuing to kind of assess, you know, how much of this is okay or not because of those reasons, right? I don't actively tell them about my social media, but a lot of times they will just find me. Most of the times it's it's kind of former students, but I do know that I have quite a number of um, current students following me on, on my social. But for the most part, these are the students who also very much embrace the non diet approaches. Again, like I talk about, I, I teach this to my students in all my classes. And for the most part, it is received well, they ask really good questions, they want to learn more about it, and then some fully dive into it into intuitive eating and help that I size. So it's really cool to see them go on in their own professional development in this area. And, you know, years, I, this is my seventh year at the university. So I have students who have gone into becoming practitioners that are very much haze aligned. So that's really cool too.
0: I guess just my last follow-up to that would be because you're so amazing and you're doing such great work. What's holding you back from fully promoting yourself in every aspect? If you're telling the doctor about your approach, why can't you tell your students and everybody that they should be following you?
2: That's a good question. I don't know. I feel like there's a little bit of a mental roadblock there on like, how, how, I don't know, how okay is it to promote my other my personal private practice business to students when I am tied affiliated to the university. And I think these type of ethical kind of questions are yet to be addressed. Like we don't have a lot of guidelines and kind of protocols, I think, in our profession about these new type of dual relationships that are continuing to form now because we're social media is becoming so much bigger. So those are questions that I continue to ask myself, but I don't have the answers to yet.
0: Understood. Great questions to ask. Anything else that you want to, uh, either one of you want to share before we wrap up or uh, any final closing words besides promoting everybody following on social, of course.
1: One other thing I wanted to add that I feel like hasn't really come up yet is no. that you can be haze aligned and really feel strongly that nutrition should be accessible to everyone and really feel aligned with the philosophies of haze. And at the same time, you can still have a successful business, you can still make over six figures a year. It doesn't have to be one or the other. Thank
0: you for sharing that. That's wonderful. And you're living proof. Yes. <laughs> I always, I always like to make sure I'm, I'm uh, giving you enough credit there because us women tend to not do that enough.
2: Mia, anything you want to add? I think we said it all.
0: Yeah. I, and I totally agree with what Sam just said. Okay. And both of you just remind everybody where to follow you on
1: social, and then we'll wrap up. You can, this is Sam. You can follow me at PCOS.nutritionist on Instagram. And Mia? I'm at foodbody.peace. All right.
0: If you identify as a female dietitian or student, apply to my coaching program. I'm accepting applications now. My clients go from zero to exceeding their sales goals. I save you time, energy, and I show you how to confidently become a dietitian boss. Thousands of your colleagues from around the world are doing it, and so can you. Apply on my website at LibbyRothschild.com and check the show notes if you want that link right away.